Whatever crap. I'm making fun of me because I, I love wheat. 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 Wheat with a T. Oh, T. Wheat. Yeah. Yeah. Wheat with a T. <laughs> Definitely. He's a fairly formal goat, but he likes to party. Did you guys know that uh, Pepe Le Pew has been banned from like Looney Tunes because it's offensive to the French, I guess? Cheers. This is a New England. It's supposed to look like orange juice. <laughs> I, I was sitting here thinking as we were as we were playing that that how much the wheat with a T thing has come into my everyday discussion. Yeah. It's so funny when anytime that I'm having a conversation with somebody that I know is a podcast listener and will say something like, you know, any, it could be anything, but anything that ends in that E A T, it always they, that person always comes back with with a T. It's, it's like meat, meat with a T. It always happens. It's uh, it's it's become quite the legend for you, Chase. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Sonder Stories. We are back in the Sonder Brewing Podcast Studios, the Sonder Stories Podcast Studios. Um, thank you to everyone who uh, trooped through the hour and forty-one minute anniversary show uh, last week. We're so thankful that you did. We got a lot of positive feedback on it. It was a really fun show for us, obviously outside of the norm. But we're back. We're back here today, and we're going to talk about um, some of our beers. So we're going to start with the beer that's being released this week on Black Friday, and it's the next bottle in our rendition of the Sour Oak Room series. It's called Taken for Pomegranate, and we'll get to where that comes from and, and what this beer is all about here in a little bit. But first, let me introduce my co-host for the week. I've got Luke Shropshire to my right here. So guys? Chase Legler. Hello. And P&P, Danny Harold. Hello. So let's just jump right into this beer. Um, as we did the last time we had sour beers, we've waited until we, got, we went uh, on air here to open the bottle. Yes. So uh, let's get right at it, boys. Why don't you crack that bad boy and let's start talking about it. I haven't had this one yet. I'm excited. You haven't had it at all? I haven't had it at all either, yeah, to be honest with you. It. Yeah, I, I was in Chicago. I don't think we even had it while you were gone. No, we didn't. I actually had it at our anniversary party. Mm. Ooh. There it is. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, the silence is always great for radio, guys. Nice. So. <laughs> well, I think we were all waiting for anticipation. Luke was kind of concerned that... It was going to blow up on us or something, but um, it was cash money. This is only two weeks in a bottle conditioning, so it mm. makes me a little nervous. So, Luke, why don't you go ahead and dive in and talk a little bit about this beer? What, what makes this beer different than the other sours we've released? Um, yeah, go for it. Uh, so this one is uh, it's kind of cool. It's a liqueur barrel-aged sour, so it's um, punch of number three, single blend. I'm sorry, single barrel uh, that went straight into the pomegranate barrel, aged for two and a half months, um, and then we uh, bottle conditioned it. Um, it was pretty interesting. When we were picking up barrels, they, uh, the cooperage said they had a, a pomegranate liqueur barrel, so I thought it was pretty cool. I was like, well, it's, you know, it's got to be pomegranate, it's going to be fruity and whatnot, but it wasn't. Um, what happened was uh, when we got it, you know, we cracked the bong, and uh, it was sopping wet. I actually poured two full pints of liquor out of this thing and usually people would be like why would you do that why would you do that but my mentality was it was a sour beer 
you know, it's blonde. It doesn't have a lot of legs to hold up to all that alcohol. So I kind of wanted a little bit dried out um, just to kind of get like the essence of it. Um, and then we smelt it. We realized it was like really potpourri-esque, um, really like, yeah, I guess potpourri is the best way to say uh, versus pomegranate. And looked online and saw it was pots still with like lavender and all these other botanicals. So I was kind of nervous a little bit about it because I wasn't sure how this was going to roll. So we sent it into the barrel and tasted it after a couple of weeks, probably about a week because we thought maybe it was going to be too strong and it was fine. And then it you know kept aging and aging and aging and um, just kind of well-rounded out, got a little bit more acidic. But yeah, that's pretty much it. This is the most oak character I've gotten on any of, any of the other sours. Yeah, I'd agree. Definitely on the aroma, it's kind of got some oak followed by the, some botanicals. I, I like it. I like it a lot. It feels like our most acidic, too, I feel like. Yeah, it's on the it's higher on the uh, acidity side, for sure. Yeah, I don't know what the TA was. I don't think I took a TA on this one, but it was probably around uh, 11 grams per liter, so pretty high. Um, and people like that. I mean, that's... Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's this enjoyable. is a switch up from the, remain, from the first three releases, which were a little bit more balanced. Um, this is going to be, you know, more of the... The showcasing of, you know, what you can do with a sour beer without fruiting it. So, as I've mentioned in past podcasts, um, with what we're working here, um, there's not a lot of wiggle room to do tons of fruiting or adjuncting. So, with that, it's making me think more outside the box and challenging myself more to figure out how I can make something unique and different on the market that can still sell. And so, using a flavored barrel... Um, you know, such as a gin barrel or whatnot, which I've done in the past, which was fantastic. Um, using the pomegranate liqueur and then showing what a base sour can become when it's sitting in a barrel that has different, you know, botanicals that were distilled into it. Um, and then, you know, relying on that oak character as well. You know, you're, you're getting more, you're starting to differentiate your product versus the mainstream. And I think, especially with the sours, um, you know, and, and going so small batch as we are and trying to do as organically and grow as organically as possible. I think this is kind of like a, kind of a, shows how this program is going to evolve into more of these kinds of things with more barrel character and structure. And I mean, obviously fruit will happen, um, but this was kind of my thought process on this kind of beer. I actually don't get a lot of, I, I agree with you when we, when we first tried the liqueur out of the barrel, it was a little concerning on, on how this was gonna how this was gonna really mesh out into a blonde sour. I don't I don't get a ton of that. Honestly, I get I get the it, the weird thing is I don't get a ton of that, but it's incredibly complex. Yeah, it's it's very complex in terms of how that that the the tannic character of the oak blends with just that subtle hint of the spirit. Yeah, but it's not it's not a boozy bomb either. Right. right. It probably picked up um, maybe like maybe a percent in the barrel. Um, the cool thing about this is it is super young. It's only two weeks in the bottle. So I would imagine after a month, it's going to be quite different um, on crispness and characteristics as well. I would imagine the carbonation is probably going to be a little bit higher. Um, Carb looks really good on it. Yeah, I, I'm, it I'm very pleased with it. Yeah. Um, and we shot really high on this one. We, we went for 3.5 volleys and all it. Um, which is the highest we've gone ever on, well, not ever. Well, it will be, not soon to be ever, but, you know, for all the bottles we've done so far, this is the highest card we've gone. Um, so this was a little bit more of a ballsier one to go with. Um, so, so let's, uh, let's, let's provide that in a little more layman's terms for folks, yeah. right? So we've talked in, on a past podcast what it means to bottle condition, but, but why target a higher 
amount of carbonation in this beer versus some of the others. So, and actually, I listened to that podcast. I want to correct myself. Um, so, with the bottle conditioning, I just want to rephrase it because I actually I think I said it incorrectly. When you're bottle conditioning, the 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 fear behind it is is you have to figure out what your delta is. So that's your already absorbed CO2 in the liquid. Now, when you're working with oak um, versus stainless steel, you're looking at more porous um, uh, nature, and therefore. Um, not the best temperature control. I mean, we, our room is temperature controlled at 68 at all times, but, you know, fluctuations happen. Um, and so you have to guess, basically, unless you have some really nice equipment, what that dissolved CO2 level is. Why that's important is because when you're then trying to target the CO2 level you want, you need to take, in fact, you need to take the dissolved CO2 into play. So if you're shooting for, like, a 3-2, and you're assuming that your delta or your pre-dissolved CO2 is at... 0.3, you need to then shoot for 2.9, because then 2.9 plus 0.3 equals that 3.2. Um, and so with that, um, and then when we, when we talk about shooting for higher carb levels, one, it's are we correct on our delta? Um, and then two, when we're thinking about beers of these sours, you know, this is being more aromatic driven due to the barrel character. The more CO2 you have, the more aroma that's going to bubble up into your nose. And that's what Chase and I definitely wanted on this beer on top of, and Chase will pop in here in a minute, but um, on top of, you know, that spritzy clean uh, character of that scrub every time is really nice. But then there's also a balance. You know, you don't want it to be breaking out in your mouth where it's just, you know, a warm soda. Basically, if you think about a warm soda, just, you know, it's all big bubbles in your mouth. Mm-hmm. That's not really attractive. It, re- it just takes away from everything. So then there's that, there's that equilibrium you have to hit with the aroma characteristics, the additional acidic acid that's created by the carbonation to then play off the acidity that's already on the beer. But then how much is too much that's going to then detract um, your palate and your senses away from the liquid that you're drinking. Yeah, and the carbon dioxide also aids in cellaring this beer. So if it was undercarbonated, it, it wouldn't cellar nearly as, as, as well as it's going to. Why? Uh, because if you don't have proper CO2, I mean, as there, there is actually a loss of carbon dioxide through the, uh, these crowns and bottles, um, just a very slow uh, loss. And especially with temperature fluctuations, um, things heating up and cooling down, just uh, uh, expansion and, and contraction of, 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 of uh, physical material, uh, you're losing some of that carbon dioxide. So it aids in, in keeping it still in an aerobic environment. So it would just keep it from going flat, basically? Flat, um, more importantly, allowing oxygen to come into the beer. Gotcha. So what would a standard, for, for our average listener that's, that's drinking a Voss, what would Voss be carbonated? So you're talking levels, right? This one you said, what, 3.4, 3.5? 3.5. Uh, so this is carbonated to a 3.5. What would something like Voss be carbonated at? Uh, in the package, it's going to finish around like 2.6. Okay. And in that, I believe I know the answer, but, but just for our consumers, that is a noticeable difference, correct? If they, were, if they were poured next to each other, would you notice the difference in the carbonations? Yeah. So if you were to take a swig out of this bottle, um, it, would, it would kind of gush up in your mouth. Okay. So this is meant to be poured in a glass to consume, where Voss, you can drink it straight out of the can without having that, that CO2 break out and build your cheeks up and whatnot. And another to uh, another point is, uh, or not another point. Another thing is, um, specifically, not specifically, but especially with Sonder beers, we carbonate higher. Um, so in our kegs, we're shooting for two seven to two seven four um, cans because when you're canning, 
um, without going into too much details of the canning process, but basically there is a small breakout um, that has to happen. One, for kind of like a uh, protection of oxygen from getting into the beer. Um, you want to have foam on beer at all times. It's a very good sign. Uh, but two, when it's, when it's foaming up, you're losing a couple volumes. So we target a higher CO2 volume to make sure that that loss is then at the 2.6 level that we want. Um, lots of cans out there, probably around 2.4, 2.5, um, even 2.2. But I mean, even on some styles though, like on auto, we will shoot for a lower CO2 level. Now I say lower, that means like 259 to 262, so not really that low, but it's low enough where that viscosity is still present, but the carbonation is still sonder level that we feel comfortable with. Yeah, the carbonation aids a lot to the beer and to the finished product of the beer, and normal canning uh, and bottling as well usually is like 0.1 to 0.2 volumes of CO2, so um, uh, we try to target a little bit higher so it's uh, it's uh, nice and, and spritzy and well carbonated for uh, certain styles of beers. Danny, what do you think of this? I really like it. It's uh, It kind of gives me like a like dry white wine-ish type feel to it with a bit more of the like beer acidity, which I like. Uh, it's very drinkable. I, I kind of hinted at it being very acidic earlier. Um, but it's still like a very smooth beer. Yeah, I mean, I'm really, um, I'm really digging the oak character that's coming out. That was already mentioned before, but For sure. um, I don't know how old the bourbon barrel was before this brandy liqueur went into it. I'm imagining four years, um, but it definitely scrubbed it down enough where you're getting more of that vanilla in kind of white oak sort of character versus and when i say oak i'm not saying like chewing on a board of wood but like no no it's essence, like it's like a hints. like the oak you would get in a chardonnay almost yeah, it's yeah. it's i really like it's incredibly complex yeah i just ask for more of it because i feel like every time i'm taking a drink of it i, I get a little bit of a different character yeah. mm-hmm. which i quite like and i would definitely imagine with this beer if you let sit and warm up from you know 36 in your fridge to 55 you would be getting way more aromas, uh, way more oak character. Obviously, the carbs can be a little bit different, but you know that's a trade-off for what you're trying to experience with the beer. Is that something you recommend? Uh, yeah, for sure. Um, I I like to drink them. So when they're bottle conditioned, and especially with this, you know, first time cracking, I wanted to make sure it was cool enough to make sure that I knew how the dissolved CO2 was going to be in it. Um, I never recommend drinking a sour warm because it's going to gush on you for sure. Um, typically if the carbs are correct in the bottle. Um, but if it's a very complex beer with something like this, yes. If it's a fruit beer, I'd probably drink it more around 44. Because um, at that point, I guess in my mind, I'm thinking when it's a fruit beer, the blender and or producer is just trying to express the fruit um, versus the barrel and the fruit and then et cetera. Um, with this one, it's just the, the main product in the barrel and, you know, with it being more botanical-driven versus fruit-driven, you know, a lot of those, you know, oily uh, characteristics, I think, are going to be hidden at a colder temp. It will be tighter um, versus warmer. Would you agree, Chase? Yeah. I, I wasn't sure. I hadn't heard Chase for a minute, so I was kind of getting worried on what my say. <laughs> I'll be honest, I was zoning out. So I, was <laughs> I thought maybe he had fallen asleep. So I'm, I was I'm, thinking about how I electrocuted myself like an hour ago. So. <laughs> that was uh, pretty funny. So um, what, would you recommend, so you talk about serving a little bit warm. You also talked a little bit how it's still fairly young. Um, 
personally, I think fresh, it tastes great. How would you recommend aging this, and would you recommend aging it? For sure. Um, I guess in my eyes, and I don't really know the science, so I might be coming up saying kind of naive things, but um, you know, with it being a distillate, um, I feel like it's going to be more integrated into it versus a refermentation. Um, you know, because it's it's vaporized into the product, so I feel it comes like chemically bonded with it. You know, kind of thing. I, I don't know if that's right or not, but that's how I think. Um, so I think this will be will hold up very very nicely. It's not it's not an adjunct that goes in past fermentation of a beer. It's literally just sitting and, and experiencing it. So imagine a bourbon barrel aged stout, super hot. You let sit, starts oxidizing a little bit in the bottle. You're getting a different character. You let sit, you're getting a different character. And I think with this, it is bottle conditioned. It will oxidize, but it's going to be very very minimal with the amount of CO2 that's protecting it. But I feel what you're going to be getting is just more, if anything, any flavor that drops might be that distillate botanical character, and the oak will then still stick. Um, but the the complexity of the sour will continue to evolve for a couple of years for sure. Great. Uh, let's let's inform or educate for those that maybe don't know. Um, if you've never if you've never had a beer cellar, um, I hear all the time like, I don't have a cellar. I don't have a place to store it. Right in the in the romanticized way of a wow, <laughs> wow. So that's an example of Henry's Law, where if you let a beer get warmer and <laughs> pop the uh, top off, a bottle conditioned beer, um, it, the cap will fly off. That's uh, that's a nice carbonation, Nicolares. <laughs> <laughs> um, in the romanticized Hollywood idea of a cellar, right? You, everyone thinks it's like this underground thing with a trap door, and you got to sneak your way into it. You don't have to do that to cellar beers. How would you? For somebody that doesn't have something like that, like what are the key elements that you would recommend for somebody that wants to age beer? What's important and what's maybe not so important? So let's be honest. Not a lot of craft beer drinkers are like wine connoisseurs where they're having. So like example would be, and I'm not saying that in a derogatory way, but you know, when I was in Italy a uh, long time ago, but we went, you know, small, it was, long story short, we went down to like a bunker basically that was bottled, that was just cellared, cellared wines and vintages that were only five left in the world kind of a thing. The reason why that's so important to be in a downstairs temperature-controlled environment is because when you have it at the 55, 50 to 55 degree level, you're inhibiting, no, you're prohibiting it from aging quick. Um, for a lot of beers out there, unless you're getting single-barrel lambics that you have to go to Belgium to get where you're spending, where you could shell out secondary market $10,000 on, you know, like a Don, uh, Don Quixote from, you know, um, Cantillon or, you know, any of those really, really rares. Um, as long as you have a cellar that's not hotter than 70 degrees, you're going to be fine. Just expect that a cellared beer at 50 versus 70, you're probably going to share, you're probably going to get maybe six to nine months of age faster on it versus the 50 uh, degree, um, but again, when you're looking at the difference between wine and beer, also is that wine has glycerol in it. Beer doesn't. Uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae eats that out. Saccharomyces baryneus uh, from wine does not, and that's why you have that mouthfeel with wine. That's why it doesn't have to be carbonated. Versus with beer, you you, you don't have to, but you're not going to get that same presence of a flavor without the carbonation in the beer. Um, so you're also thinking about the chemical uh, identity is very different. Um, and so wine will last longer versus a barley, um, you know, beverage won't. 
Yeah, it's also the sulfate addition, which aids uh, enormously in, in aging wine. I would say for aging aging beer, you kind of want to try to have a consistent temperature in the cellar, which is tough to do. You know, you know when season to season rolls around. I pretty much so my cellar is just the top layer of my fridge because I live yeah. on the third story of an apartment building, and my whole apartment is just one temperature, so I don't really have anywhere to go. So I'm pretty much just keeping beer cold and drinking it whenever I want. I'm not getting, I'm not getting a ton of age on yeah. anything, but that's probably that's probably the best way to do it. You know, I mean. It's the safest way, right? Yeah. Yeah, and and, I mean, look, to be clear, to your point, uh, Luke, it it doesn't have to be 50 degrees. That's certainly ideal, but let's, as long as you're not getting up 75, 80 degrees, and it's fluctuating from 65 to 80 and back and forth, that's the biggest issue. For myself personally, I just keep all of my beers that I'm not drinking right away in my basement. Yes, in the unfinished part of my basement. In the back where it stays a little bit cooler. It's never going to get too hot, but it's also not going to get too cold. It's, yeah. it's not as consistent as I would like, but it's consistent enough, and it's, it's, it's cool enough, right? It serves the purpose. That's right. Yeah. And, you know, for me, it's like in my eyes, you know, I don't plan on having these beers for 10 years. Now, I do have some, you know, some magnums of Lambics, you know, that I will be holding on to for a while because... What's the oldest beer you have in your cellar right now? Oh, um, 2010, I think. Nice. Um, what is it? It's not that old. That's not that old. I have beer older than that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really get into beer until, what, five years ago. It's okay. You don't, you don't have to defend <laughs> yourself. I'm just surprised. Um, it's Midnight Sun Flemish Red. Okay. So Alaska Brewery. I have a, I think I have a 2008 Lou Pepe Frambois mm. uh, that probably didn't hold up really well because I'm sure yeah. those raspberries just faded, but it's just, I'm waiting for a special occasion. And then, I mean, if we really want to, you know, like, swing here, I mean, <laughs> I've had 93 J.W. Lee Harvest before. I mean, uh, <laughs> so I actually, I have a 2000, I have a 2004. Uh, so oxidizing terrible. Uh, yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> um, I, I've actually moved through much of my cellar since we have opened the brewery here. Yeah, you had a crazy cellar. I did have a crazy cellar three, for a long time. Three years ago. Yeah, when you first met me. Yeah. Um, also, Liz doesn't drink a lot of big barrel-aged beers that, that I've been aging for a while. Yeah. And she doesn't enjoy sours as much as she once did. So I've helped you with a few of those. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Chase has probably helped me more than anyone with most of that. And, and, you know, candidly, I guess the other thing I would say is uh, just know what you're getting into if you do build a big cellar and you work your way into it. Because half the time, I, I, my recommendation always is um, if you're only going to buy one of something, especially if you've never had it, drink it. That's why we brew it, yeah. right? Yeah. If you love it and you're intrigued by it, by by what it might do, like, you know, especially with a beer like this that we're talking, how it might get better with age, I would recommend buy two, drink one, seller one. Yeah. Um, I, I what I have always done and I like to do is, if I know it's a beer I like fresh, I'll do a little bit of an experiment with it where I'll buy like three or four of them if I'm if I'm able to find them and do it, and I'll drink them in different stages, and then especially if it's a beer that comes out every year, then I know. Verticals. Yeah, I'll do verticals of it. I know where it where it ages well. Boulevard Saison Brett is a big one. Yeah. I've talked about this a hundred times on this show probably, but Boulevard Saison Brett has always been one of my favorite beers, and I was able to do a six-year vertical on that. And the really cool thing with that was I found out that it was about at three years was my favorite. I always feel like that's the case. Like three at, years? It's just more of like when you do like four or five plus, it always ends up being the one in the middle. I think that's probably fair, Yeah. yeah. Because it, it, it can be a case where it just 
gets past its prime, mm-hmm. uh, and then sometimes it can be too fresh, especially with a, a Saison beer, or a Brett beer, excuse me. But um, I'm excited to do Saison de Punchum after a couple of years and just see what happens with that. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm excited about that series. It's going to evolve nicely and with different barrels. I mean, that beer changed a ton even in a month and a half. Yeah, it's pretty cool. The other blending is pretty dope. I, uh, like I said, it's the first time that I've experienced it. And, you know, when you, like I said in the last podcast, you know, a lot of these Lambic producers were laying them down for eight months to a year. So within that time frame, it's probably gone through majority of its changes. You know, other than that, it's going to start hitting the oxidation level and start changing that route. It'll still evolve, though, but... You know, with this one, it was two to th- two and a half months of bottle conditioning that we let it sit up in the hot room, and I mean, it's still going to roll. Yeah. So, oh, go ahead, Chase. Oh, I was just going to, you know, bring up like for our our anniversary party, we we ran six of these beers, and you know, it's kind of a, a debate in my head because it almost does a disjustice to the beer because of the bottle conditioning process, and we did we we did uh, keg condition. Um, I think one of them. I, we I we we conditioned saison, and that yeah. was my favorite one on draft. So yeah, and then and then the cuvee, like we've tried that out of the, out of the bottle after it's conditioned, and it's just an amazing beer. It doesn't and then, compare. And then out of the yeah. keg, it's just like yeah, it's good, it's there, but it's just it doesn't have that. Yeah. It doesn't have the extra, complexity. It doesn't have those yeah. layers in it. Um, so I don't know. We'll have to talk about that about next year. About you know maybe not even doing a keg release and and just. Yeah. You know, Unless it, we're going to roll one of these out, you know, potentially year-round where we're keg conditioning frequently. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Just a thought. I don't right. have any idea where that, you know, we're, yeah. whatever. The keg conditioning is definitely, is definitely going to be a fun, uh, fun project for it's, us. It's going to be fun. I think what the, the easy thing, I'm sure there are probably people listening right now who are going, all right, fine, why don't you keg condition them, all of them? The issue with it is, and, and the, the, the part that, that goes unnoticed is it's, it's twofold, right? You have to store them somewhere. Mm-hmm. You have to store them while they condition. Warm. Right, warm, correct, mm-hmm. um, and then you have to wait and you have to sit on it, mm-hmm. right? Just like you do with all the the bottle product and everything else. Well, so then, it's not always just as easy as all right. We'll just keg condition everything. Well, and then we have to physically fill them by hand because we're not going to allow them to be filled off of our, of right. our clean normal uh, keg machine. So right. it's all being hand filled, and that's all gravity fed, which takes forever. Yeah, mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> meaning and, meaning for those that may not know that that's. It's, think of it almost like a siphon, where, yeah. where you have to siphon something off and run it in. It's not completely the case, oh, but, yeah, it's, yeah, but yeah. it's the same technology, right? Same idea. Mm-hmm. We're not pumping these into the kegs. Yeah. We're, it's like, like a homebrew system. We're, we're physically filling each keg. So yeah. it is a little bit of a – we're still a startup, and we still oh, yeah. don't have all the technology to make that the most efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you know, with, the, with the end product that we have, um, it makes me really proud of that program. Same. Um, with – the littlest things that I have in there that we have in there um, by choice. You know, I could have been annoying about it. And I'm sure we could have gotten some things in there, but you know that I knew this wasn't a big thing on Chase's list, um, and so therefore I didn't push it. But I went back to milk the funk and just looked at all the DIY stuff, and I just we figured it out, and it's working just as good as I thought it would. Yep, and the product's great, and and that takes us to this release. That uh, for those listening, so we're actually recording this at the end of the week before this will actually be released. But this will be released next week, which is the week of Thanksgiving. It is our Black Friday release. Uh, we're releasing this along with uh, our Duck Donuts collaboration, which we'll be talking about next on the next podcast after it's released. So everybody will be able to hear about that beer as well. Um, and you know, we're releasing two 
similar beers, but also not even close to the same beers, right? They're both potentially, uh, they're, they're a sour beer for a, a consumer that likes that, but they're very different. Um, a, lot of, a lot of time and patience goes into this beer where it's, it's a little bit more on the production side for the, the Berliner Weiss that we're releasing. Um, but all of that to be said, I think what I love the most about this sour program that you guys have built up so far is it, it, it shows a very creative space for uh, the art and the science behind it. And this is just the next chapter in that. Um, we've talked about it a million times. Chase, we, we, we talked about maybe even making a shirt one day that basically says like beer is art or beer is science or yeah. something like that. All of beer is. Yeah. Um, and, and these are just two different, very different, but, but sort of similar interpretations of, of that. Yeah. And um, I'm excited about it. Um, since we are releasing this uh, podcast the week of Thanksgiving, I thought it would be fun to wrap up the show for everyone to tell me uh, two things. The most underrated and most overrated foods for Thanksgiving. Okay. We are releasing two porters as well. Oh, I, you know what? I'm so sorry. You're right. We are. Uh, on draft, we'll have, yeah. uh, and potentially some other surprises that I don't want to announce yet, but uh, there's yes. some potential other <laughs> really fun surprises as well um, where uh, Luke can flex a little bit of, of his uh, fruiting nature. Um, I'll go ahead. I'll start here. Uh, well, let's, let's yeah, the, the, we have the porter and the vanilla porter. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so those will be released on Black Friday as well. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start with the Thanksgiving foods. The most underrated food is corn pudding. I love corn pudding. Oh. And none of you said a thing here, so you either don't know what I'm talking about. We don't, we don't have that at mine. <laughs> what? Yeah, we do pies for all of our, like... No, no, no. This isn't like an actual, like a dessert pudding. Oh, really? It's like, it's like a corn... It's like a baked corn dish. Like Think like baked macaroni, but it's corn instead of... Interesting. I can't explain it. It's like cornbread and corn and... Pe- our, like, well, we probably do that similar as like sweet potato, uh, like mashed sweet potato. Yeah, yeah. it's different. Yeah. It's yeah, very it's different. Don't get me like, wrong. It's but. like it's like a, a breaded yes top yes it's not like a breading but like it's, no it's, it's, it's like a, yeah oh, yes. so good. I'll, I'll you know what my mom my well it's either my mom or dad I don't know whoever is actually cooking it it's really good yeah. uh, and I probably wouldn't give credit to the right person so one of the two of them at our Thanksgiving it's fantastic the most overrated is anything in the vein of like cranberry sauce Ooh, or like cranberry stuff or like yeah. Yeah. like beets or like any of that like I'm out I'm out no thanks mm. no thanks passing the beets yeah I'm out on cranberry sauce too uh, and then the most underrated for us is my aunt does like broiled Brussels sprouts mm. with like a really good like balsamic vinegar like oh. sauce it's super dope. I do love Brussels sprouts. I'm they not, I'm not a huge Brussels sprouts guy outside of Thanksgiving. Interesting. I so, just probably don't do it very well. I, I cook Brussels sprouts on the Traeger sometimes. Mm, that's probably very good. Yes. Chase, what about you? What's Thanksgiving oh. like at the Legler house? <laughs> I could go in a few different directions. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've, so we've had raccoon at our, at our Thanksgiving before. I would not suggest that. It's, it's pretty greasy. Um, so I'll never eat raccoon, but I, I'm, I'm pretty open to things. I like to eat, try. It sounds things. gamey. Oh, it's gre- It's not really gamey. It's just like oddly oily and greasy. Does it, it taste was, like like chicken or like, I mean, I don't know. I couldn't get past yeah. the, the texture yeah. of it. I guess I I don't know. It wasn't good, but don't eat. Is raccoon. that a free, is that a frequent? 
Thanksgiving? I think it was two years in a row, maybe. Yikes. Yeah. But uh, I don't, it's been, yeah, we haven't had it for a couple of years now. So. Okay. Um, the, I mean, the turkey neck is just so good. <laughs> Save the neck for me, Clark. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I had to bring up uh, um, my grandmother's carrot cake. Uh, she's mm. deceased now, but um, Carmen. Carmen, yeah. So hence the Carmen's carrot cake beer. Great beer, released. man. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I always uh, uh, seek out carrot cake. Um, well, I never used to seek out carrot cake until Thanksgiving, but uh, now it's just not the same since my grandmother passed away. But um, so that's my my favorite memory is is the carrot cake. What was the question? Underrated and overrated. Underrated and overrated. Yeah. Right. Underrated is, is turkey neck. Um, overrated. <laughs> it's raccoon. raccoon. <laughs> overrated is raccoon. Yeah. <laughs> Luke, what about you? Um, I don't know. To me, does, at least. Does if, Robin Shropshire cook up like a mean Thanksgiving meal? Bro. I feel, I feel <laughs> like yeah, she would. She does, yeah. I don't know. In our family, the underrated is sweet potato casserole. Okay. That's my jam. I do love sweet potato I love casserole. Sweet potato. I'm all about any of the casseroles. Yeah. Overrated? I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> there's just nothing overrated when it comes. Well, you to said eating you already bit. said you didn't really like beets or any of that stuff. Beets, right? but like, I, who eats beets besides bears? That? Beets, Battlestar Galactic. <laughs> right. I actually like beets a lot. We have, we have, we rolls, have, rolls are overrated. Oh, I agree. Dude, I agree. It, I don't need. It just, it just takes up space. That's from right. Food. That's right. Yeah. I don't need Fills bread at Thanksgiving. It's I don't expanded. need anything bread. Do you guys like stuffing? Oh, yeah. Stuffing's yeah. my oh. favorite. Oh. Stuffing's number one oh, for me. Man, I, I love eat stuffing, stuffing year round. Yeah, Haley makes a mean stuffing. I, I can see that. Yeah. I love stuffing. Damn. All day. All day. Yep. We also do, uh, at our house, we always have, uh, and, and this is uh, with Liz's family too, every time at Thanksgiving, we always have, uh, it's, it's weird. At both of our families, there's always like a chicken and noodles or like a chicken dumplings or mm, like a I love soup. Like a, I forgot like a about turkey soup. and noodles. Oh, soup is on. amazing on Thanksgiving as well. Yes. My aunt makes a very good cheesy broccoli soup, which is Ooh, I'm here for that. with Snoop. I'm, I'm, uh, with Snoop? Yeah, I said Snoop. I meant to say soup. Some better I'm here for uh, the other thing. Uh, at our, at, uh, on, my, on my side, my dad makes homemade noodles for the turkey and noodles. So he he'll makes take his noodles. Yeah, so he oh, he takes the flour and rolls it up. Yes, Damn. it's so noodles. good. Dad is very talented. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I could talk to my dad for like an hour about like one thing. Like, yeah, but you know, I've really been thinking about you know making a '67 hot rod Chevy. Yeah, and like in an hour later, he'll text me and be like. So I figured out how we would build this Chevy. And I wouldn't even give him direction. It would just be like a thought. And he'd be like, so here's what we're going to do. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> it's well, he's, he's built like uh, his own motorcycles from scratch, Multiple, right? yeah. Multiple when I was in high school, like, I'm convinced he just got, got bored talking to my mom every night. And so he just like, he's like, I just, you know, I, I need a hobby. And so. Yeah, I don't know how he. <laughs> 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 yeah. He. Whatever the case, he built this massive pole barn on our property and went down and in a year just bought every single part on eBay and built a Screaming Eagle Harley. Nice. Yeah. Like from scratch, from the bottom up. It's like, it's incredible. He, yeah, I mean. It's pretty dope. I, I talked to him about brewing for like a, a couple of minutes, like right after I had started doing it. And then he had, to, he had to stage me up. Dad, if you're listening to this, thanks for that. Because in all seriousness, when he built this massively automated electric brewery, I'm like, yeah. I want to do this. Because yeah. it took the science of beer that I loved and made it incredibly not manual. 
but still creative, right? And that's what, like, he and I would, would brew in his brewery that he built. You've seen it, Chase. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, it, you uh, undersold it because, <laughs> I mean, I've got my system, which is just completely manual. I'm using, you know, uh, temperature probes in my hand to dip into the mash while circulating at the same time. Just very manual. And, yeah, I go and see your dad's. I'm like, all right, I think I should be pilot brewing on this now. <laughs> <laughs> pilot brewing. Pilot brewing. It's not home brewing. It's pilot brewing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty awesome, though. It's, and we've had a lot of fun up there brewing beer together. For those listening, Thanksgiving is one of the uh, three days of the year that we're closed. Uh, we won't open on that day so that, so that all of our team members can spend it with their family. So I hope all of you have a great Thanksgiving, and, and I hope everyone listening has a great Thanksgiving and an opportunity to spend it with their family and uh, let people know that you're, you're thankful for them. So, um, Cheers to that, bruh. Yeah, cheers, cheers, guys. Cheers, Al. Got it. <laughs> Cross the street.